Well, in the last week, I received just under 100 emails in my inbox, which is way too much for me to read in a given week, and I don't even try to read that many emails. If anything, I should learn to unsubscribe from a few mailing lists that I receive emails from regularly, but I have a way of still going through all these emails, even if I don't read every single one of them. As I process through all these emails, I I look at who they're from, and for the most part, if I see who it's from, I know whether the email is something I should read, whether it's something I should respond to, whether it's something I should keep, or if it's from Amazon for the 100th time and more, I can throw it in the trash. But if it's not clear enough just from who it is who's sending me the email, well, then I'll skim through the subject line of the email to see if this email is of any importance to me. Usually from those two things, I can discern whether or not that email is important or not. And the same goes with when I get uh, mail sent to my house. I can easily tell if mail is important just by seeing who the letter is from. And another step I take when I'm processing my personal mail is as I sort through it, I make sure that that mail is actually written to me. Because from time to time, I get my neighbor's mail. And if it's not written to me, well, then it doesn't pertain to me to open and read, and I should give it to my neighbor anyway. But it is important that I go through all my mail, be it digital or physical, because in the mix of all these letters and emails, there are a handful of them that are very important for me to read and to respond to, and, and sometimes I even keep it and pin it on my fridge. If it's a Christmas letter from one of you or a, a letter from my wife, I'll keep it for years. Well, this morning we had a, another letter read to us. We usually refer to this letter as the book of Colossians in our Bible, but make no mistake, this book is in fact a letter. And this morning, we are starting our series through this letter, this letter to the Colossians, and it will take us through the better part of the year. And the theme of this letter, and therefore the theme for us this year, is the supremacy of Christ. Now, since we are spending the better part of the year going through this letter, and since we just took a significant amount of our time this morning having this letter read, you should infer that this is one of those letters that are important, not like those spam emails that we throw in the trash. No, this is a letter that is worth our time to read. And I don't need to tell you that for you to know that. In fact, most of you probably recognize the importance of this letter simply because it is contained in Holy Scripture. And so we know that it is important because all Scripture is breathed out by God And as such, we know that the letter to the Colossians is important to us and profitable for us. But while most of us would say that Colossians is important along with the rest of the scriptures, some of us mainly have a view of its importance out of some kind of sentimental view of the Bible. We might think it's important because it's often found bound in fine black letter with gold print embossed onto the binding of it. And most books aren't put together so carefully, and so obviously Colossians and the other books of the Bible are important. And yet, judging by the dust on some of our Bibles, a lot of us don't actually believe that the contents found in it are actually important. Here's the thing. We might know, and we might even say that this letter to the Colossians, as with the rest of the Bible, are important, but if we do not read it, and do not take the time to meditate upon it, 
It is owing to the fact that we do not actually see its importance. And some of us spend more time every day going through those useless emails and ads that we get in our mailbox than we actually do reading the word of God. And so it's worth considering this morning as we look at this letter, do you actually believe that this letter to the Colossians as with the rest of the Bible is important to you? Well, if you don't, this is my aim this morning. I want to convince you of the importance of this letter to the Colossians. And the way I intend to do this is similar to the way that I sort through my own emails, my own mail. I'm gonna look at who the letter's from, who it's to, and I want us to see the intended purpose of this letter. And we see all of this in the first two verses. And I do hope and pray that by the end of this sermon, you will have a greater view of this letter so that you would be eager to hear it preached week in and week out through the majority of this year. And not only that, but I do hope that you would see the importance of all the scriptures and be eager to take it up and read it in the year ahead. Colossians opens up like this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Right there, I think, are three compelling reasons for us to read Colossians and devote ourselves to it in the year ahead. And the first reason we should read Colossians is simply because it was written by an apostle. Let us take some time to consider who it was who wrote this letter. Our letter opens up by telling us that it was written by Paul, and there are far too many kids who grow up in the church and then leave for college and, and move off to other churches who have no idea who Paul is. And I hope that's not owing to our church and then what we're teaching here, but oftentimes kids know more about Jonah and the whale than they do about the apostle Paul. And I think this is owing to the fact that most children's Bibles say little to nothing about Paul. But if we compare him to Jonah, well, Jonah is just a small little book that just takes up three pages in my Bible. It's a small little book in the Old Testament, and he's mentioned one other time in the Old Testament and only a few other times in the New. But Paul, on the other hand, is the author of 13 of our 27 books in the New Testament, so we should know who he is. And not only that, but a good chunk of the book of Acts is all about Paul and his conversion and his multiple missionary journeys. So if you don't know who Paul is, well, let me just give you a brief biographical sketch of the Apostle Paul. When you first run into Paul, it's in the book of Acts, and he's not called Paul. He's called Saul. And when we hear of him, he is a hater of Jesus, and he hates the church, and he is at the scene of the very first execution of a Christian. The very first martyr we read about, his name is Stephen, and Paul who's known as Saul, is there approving of his execution. And as we continue to read of him, his hatred for the church only grows more and more, and he makes it his aim, his goal, to kill Christians and put them in prison. But on the way to persecute more Christians in a town outside of Jerusalem, he had a radical encounter with the risen Jesus, which transformed Paul from being a Christian killer to being one of the most prolific and hardworking disciples and apostles of Jesus Christ. 
Paul's life is marked by being an apostle to the Gentiles. He made it his aim to preach Christ where the gospel had yet to be preached. And on his missionary journeys, Paul faced countless trials through many beatings and imprisonments and betrayals and much more than that. And according to church tradition, Paul would go on to die for Jesus by being beheaded in Rome. So if I could summarize Paul's life, I would summarize it like this. He who once hated Jesus would go on to live for Jesus and die for Jesus so that he could reign with Jesus. So for a more detailed look at the life of Paul, well, I'd encourage you to read Acts 22 where Paul himself recounts his own story and testimony. But better yet, you should read the entirety of Acts. And not only that, but if you really want to get to know Paul, you should read all 13 of his letters that we have contained in our Bible. Because in reading those, we will begin to see who Paul is and we will learn to imitate him in his ways. In his book called Why I Love the Apostle Paul, John Piper wrote this. He said, besides Jesus, no one has kept me from despair or taken me deeper into the mysteries of God than the Apostle Paul. Now, this is the man who wrote this letter that we are reading. Paul is an important person to know, and this letter is an important letter for us to read. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Let me define this term here, apostle, for us, so we might better understand why we should listen to Paul. The basic definition of apostle is this. It's a, a messenger. So we might understand this to mean that Paul is a messenger of Christ Jesus. But that's not all this word means. Because even here in this verse, we see Paul is found with another person, Timothy, our brother. And yet it is Paul who is called an apostle and not Timothy. And both Paul and Timothy are messengers of God. Even I myself am a messenger of Jesus Christ, even now as I am preaching his word but I am certainly not an apostle. And any person who is alive today who might try to claim to have some kind of apostolic authority is at best delusional, or worse, they're a deceiver. But the way Paul is using this word is unique to him and the others who were called apostles in the scriptures. You see, an apostle was the official spokesman who had the authoritative commands to be able to speak and write scripture. That is God's very word. These apostles were the eyewitnesses of Jesus's resurrection and they had been personally appointed by Christ to govern the early church. So let me illustrate what it means for Paul to be an apostle in two ways. First of all, kids, you know the difference between a bossy sibling who tells you to do the dishes than if your mom tells your sibling to do the dishes. You see, if a bossy sibling is telling you to do the dishes and you do not obey them, well, you're only defying the authority of that sibling. But to disobey the command of your mom that is being delivered by that same sibling is not to just defy the authority of that sibling, but it is to defy the authority of your parent. So it is, Paul is a, an apostle of Christ Jesus, a messenger of God. And to not hear and obey Paul is ultimately to reject and rebel against God's word. So we might also understand it like this. The difference between 
a road raging maniac in a minivan compared to a police officer who is speeding through traffic because he is in a uniform and an issued police car. We understand you would pull over for one, but that road raging maniac in a minivan is one who does not have the authority to speed and drive like that. So too, Paul has this unique authority as an apostle that most Christians don't have. In fact, no Christians who are living today have this same authority. And if this wasn't clear enough already, he adds this. He says he's an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So consider what it means here for him to be an apostle by the will of God. Paul here is talking about God's sovereign will. For a more comprehensive understanding of what the will of God is, I'd encourage you to go back to listen to Pastor Tate's sermon in our series through the Lord's Prayer when he preached on the words, your will be done. But for the sake of today, I want us to understand that Paul is referring to God's sovereign will. That is to say, God is in control of all things and all things happen according to the counsel of his will. As we see in Ephesians 1.11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who, listen, works all things. All things includes the rising and setting of the sun. It includes your every single breath. It includes your heartbeat. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. Even man's best plans and decisions are ultimately dependent upon the will of God. Listen to James 4, 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So every decision we make, every plan that we have is still ultimately dependent upon the will of God. And this even includes our salvation. We heard it already in Ephesians 1, but hear it again in John 1, when John says, but to all who did receive him, that is Jesus Christ, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. In other words, your heritage does not make you a child of God, nor do your passions, the things you are inclined to like and lean towards and love, those things don't make you a child of God. Your will, your decision, your thinking and intellect do not make you a child of God, but only the will of God who chooses you and places his grace upon your life and then you believe in him and so it is you become a child of God because he willed it. And so with this in mind and understanding of what it is the will of God entails, let us understand what Paul is saying here when he calls himself an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Why does he link his apostleship to the will of God? Well, it's owing to this. His authority is not rooted in his decision to follow Jesus. His authority is not rooted in his rich and vast knowledge of the, the scriptures. His authority isn't even rooted in the other apostles' affirmation of Paul or the Colossians' acceptance of him as an apostle, but rather his apostleship and authority comes directly from the will of God. 
And this is important for us to recognize and for the Colossians to recognize as well because many might have viewed Paul as a failure or a criminal due to his imprisonment that he was in when he was writing this letter. And as such, they may have doubted what he had to say. And not only was Paul writing from prison, but he's writing to shut down the false teaching that is happening in and among the Colossian church. Look in Colossians 2.8. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So Paul, he is writing to the Colossians to warn them about how some of them are, are starting to depart from Christ, And he's wanting them to recognize that those teachers who might be teaching this thing, who might hold a certain position of authority in the Colossians, they're wrong. So he's correcting them and they need to know that he is worth listening to and trusting because he writes not as just a man, but as an apostle who is called by the will of God. And certainly all kinds of men and women claim to have authority when they say they speak on behalf of God. But Paul's authority is not rooted in his personal claim to apostleship. No, he is an apostle because God appointed him to be one. And his words are not the words of a madman. He is not a liar or a lawless man. Rather, what Paul writes is true. And his words to the Colossians are scripture. And as such, we need to understand that they are, as all scripture is, breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So in other words, you should should read this letter to the Colossians because you can trust Paul and the other apostles who are like him, who write with the authority of God. There is a reason we preach what we call expository sermons here. And what that means is we preach verse by verse through the Bible. And we do this because we trust the word of God over and above the words and ideas of any man. I would even go so far to say, I trust what Paul has to say more than I trust my own ideas and my own words. Proverbs 3 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. And so this is the reason why we should read Paul. This is the reason we should read the rest of the scripture is because our minds don't always see things as clearly as we think we do. So we need to hear the word of God so that we might see things clearly so that we might know what is true. Now, some of us in here might be wondering, are we making too much out of Paul here? I mean, he is just another man. And this is about Jesus and not Paul, right? So um, I, or are the rest of us perhaps guilty of making too much out of our favorite teachers like the Corinthians were? Or are we in danger of mistaking Paul for being a god like the people of Lystra or Malta? Well, no, I don't believe we're in that kind of danger. Listen to Ephesians 4. And he, this is God, he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So what we see here is God gave us the apostles like Paul for our good, 
so that we would listen to them and learn from them and be built up by them as we are being built up in Christ. Even Paul himself commends his life to us like this. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So we see here, it is God's intention for us to learn from Paul and it is Paul's intention that we would learn from him and look at his life and imitate him. And apart from reading Paul and taking his word seriously, we will never be able to reach the heights and depths of the knowledge of the love of God that we would reach if we would just read Paul and ask God to open our eyes to see the wonderful things that he has in his word. And furthermore, Paul, he's a man who is, who is worth knowing and who is worth imitating because he is a man who remained faithful to the end. And for anyone who wants to be faithful to the Lord, well, it's, it's really valuable to know what made this man tick so that we might imitate his ways and not give way to fear and give way to sin and every other passion of the flesh. And so we ought to read Colossians because it was written by this man who remained faithful to the end. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Now, for the sake of the sermon, I'm not going to spend much time talking about Timothy, but what should interest us this morning about Timothy here is how Paul and the Colossians relate to, to Timothy. Timothy is called our brother, and this is a word Paul uses again in verse two, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Here's the second reason I think we need to read Colossians. We should read this letter because it is addressed to you, to me, to us. Every now and then, I get a letter in the mail that's addressed to a person named Reverend Joshua Trosper. And I don't know who that person is. The only person who actually calls me Joshua is my dad. And literally nobody calls me Reverend. But this is not what we see happening here in this letter to the Colossians. Paul, he addresses this letter to the saints, Colossae. And this word saints, it simply means the holy ones. And we should see ourselves in that address. You know, we normally call ourselves Christians, but make no mistake, every Christian is a saint. If you are a Christian, then you are holy and set apart by God and for God. And as saints, Paul and Timothy are our brothers. Now, I can't imagine many circumstances where a person would receive a letter from a sibling only to never read it and just throw it into the trash. And in this case, we ought to recognize that what we have here is a letter from our fellow brothers and saints. And they wrote this letter so that we would take it up and read it. And so we ought to do that. We ought to open the word of God and read it as it is intended to be read. And if you don't understand what you read, well then it would profit you to read it again. And even if you don't understand it, you can use all these different wonderful tools to help you understand it. And if you do understand it, well, it's still worth reading again and meditating on day and night for the man who does so is called blessed. Letters written to the saints, Paul adds, faithful brothers. So if you're a faithful brother, once again, you should see this letter is written to you. 
Those who are faithful are those who are steadfast, those who are immovable and abounding in the work of the Lord. So are you a faithful brother? I sure hope I am. And if you are, then this is for you. I have a verse that I go back to nearly every single day. And if you know me, you know I go to it often. Matthew 25, 21 says this. And his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now I have it as my aim in my life to to live in such a way that when I am judged by God, I will hear those wonderful words, well done, thy good and faithful servant, enter into your master's joy. And I have a number of other verses that are attached to this one to help me discern how I am to live in order to remain faithful to my master. But I do hope that I'm not the only one who is striving and longing to hear these words. I hope that all of us who call ourselves Christians, make it our aim to remain faithful to God to the very end of our life. And if you do long to enter into your master's joy on that wonderful day, then you ought to see your name inscribed into this letter, for it is written to the saints and faithful brothers. And then he adds that they are also in Christ. Being in Christ is what makes us a Christian. Those who have received eternal life only receive eternal life by being in Christ. Listen to Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Listen, in Christ Jesus our Lord. Those who are no longer under the, the wrath and condemnation of God are only free from that guilt because they are in Christ. Listen to Romans 8.1. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if we ever wish to do any good with our life and have any kind of righteous fruit coming out of ourselves, then we need to be in Christ. Jesus said it this way in John 15, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So for all who receive Christ and bear fruit, this letter is for you. And for those of us who are in Christ, Paul will tell us even in this letter that we also must remain in him. Listen to Colossians 2, 6, and 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught. So if you are a Christian, then you should see yourself in the address of this letter as it is written to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. But we might see something here. We might go, wait, this is for the saints in Colossae. This is for the Colossian church who lived in the first century. And here we are some 2,000 years later The year is 2022, and we're in Vancouver. How can you say that this letter is addressed to us? Does that mean any church's mail is mail for us to open? No. So then how can we say that this letter to the Colossians is for us? Paul, he addresses this very thing by the very end of this same letter. In Colossians 4, 16, he says, and when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, 
So this same letter is going to be read over there at a church that would have been just a few miles away, a day's walk perhaps from this church, and see that you also read the letter from the Laodiceans. And so Paul, he intends for this letter to be read by other churches. And it's not just Paul's intention for this to be read. Paul's been dead for thousands of years. But it was God's intention that this letter would be preserved for us so that we would take it up and read it. And not only that, but just a study of church history, you will learn that there are many, many men and women who have died so that we could have the scriptures in our own language so we can read it. So we should. Because it's for you and it's for me. Now one disclaimer at this point. This letter, I'm saying it's written for you and to you, but it is possible that it's not, at least not yet. You see, this, this letter is written to the saints who are faithful in Christ. And it would be foolish of me to assume that everyone here this morning is in fact in Christ. That is to say, it is, there are some of you who are not Christians, who are not saved. And apart from Christ, you will die and be judged by God in the eternal, in eternal fire of hell. And some of you are going on living in habitual and unrepentant sin. Some of you have no love for Jesus, or if you say you do, your love is neither hot nor cold. Some of you say you love Jesus, but you go on hating your neighbor. And others simply just do not believe in Jesus Christ. If we describe you, well then, let me just make sure you understand this letter is not for you because you are not in Christ. But there is good news. And it's the good news that we're gonna see even here in Colossians. And that is this, there is a way for even the worst sinner to be in Christ. Elsewhere, it is asked of Paul, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. So there is a way, if you are not in Christ, for you to be saved and to be saved, to be in Christ, all you must do is believe in the Lord Jesus. And Paul tells us clearly, you will be saved. And if you don't think it's possible for you to be saved, well then be encouraged by what Paul will remind these very saints at Colossae and us as well as we read this letter when he says this in verse 21, and you, saints, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled you in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. No, this is the work that Christ does. He reconciles sinners to himself through his death so that we who are sinners can be made saints. And he does this not because of anything of our doing, not because of how smart we are or how good our hearts might be, because we're neither smart nor good, but he does so because of his perfect work that he credits to all who believe in him. And this brings us to the final reason why we should all read Colossians. 
Whether we are a saint or not, we should all read this letter because the contents that are found here within this letter are of infinite value. Listen to how Paul writes this. He says to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ Jesus, in Christ at Colossae, he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Now this little greeting right here functions to a similar way into which the subject line of those emails that I sort through Acts. I'll read those and I'll get a sense as to what those emails are about. So too, we see here in this little customary greeting, we get a good sense of what Paul is going to write to us about. And what we see is this letter contains grace and peace from God our Father. And so we should read it because the contents are a treasure that are of infinite value to us. We all love those cards that have something of value in it, don't we? Think about it. What makes a card worth keeping? Do we keep a card because it has a cliche hallmark writing that someone else printed and mass produced to be shipped all over the world? Or do we keep a card because of the personal handwritten note that drips with love in each letter stroke? We know that it's the handwritten one that's valuable to us, don't we? It's the contents of the letter that make it important. My brother demonstrated his care for the contents of his cards when he graduated from high school. I have this, this image of him when he graduated. He had this stack of cards that he had received on his, the day of his graduation and at his graduation party. And he opened these letters without reading who they were from or what it said. But all he did is he held it up and would shake it to see if there was anything in it. Because he wanted to know, is this card of any value to me? Not because the card itself is valuable, but the contents of the card inside of it. And every kid who has ever shaken a present under the Christmas tree knows this to be true. We shake the boxes under the tree with our names on it, not because we want to see the wrapping paper or the nice little name tag on it. We shake the boxes because we want to know the contents that are found inside of it. And as a kid, I loved the sound of Legos in a box way more than I liked the sound of socks in a box. So we should be interested in Colossians, not just because it was written by Paul, and not just because our name is written on it, because Colossians has rich treasures that are contained within it. And so we ought to be like those kids who shake the gift under the tree in order that we might find out what is contained in them before Christmas Day. Or we should be a little bit like my brother who takes those cards and shakes it to see if there's any value in it. Or better yet, like someone who is in love pours over the lover, the letter that was written by their beloved, excuse me, we should read this letter because we want to understand every single word. And so Paul, he wrote these wonderful words and we ought to investigate them diligently to try to understand the truth that are contained in it. Paul said, grace and peace from God our Father. Now we might be tempted to write off these words as some kind of generic greeting. All of Paul's letters start off with a similar greeting. And these words, they, they are common, but they are rich with meaning. You see, it might be a generic word in the window of a sign that says open compared to that neon side sign that says closed, but it's important that we understand the difference between the sign that says open and closed. It's a big difference, though it is generic. 
It might be generic, but we understand the difference between the sign on the door that says welcome compared to the sign that says no solicitors. And again, it might be generic, but there's a big difference between a letter that is signed off sincerely from as opposed to the letter that is signed with love. Never complained when I had a letter that said, love Sarah. (laughs) That had meaning to me. So let's not assume that this customary greeting here written by Paul has no meaning to us. Let's find out what the contents are. What is grace? This is what Paul is sending, grace to you. So what is this grace that he is sending? I'm looking at my timer and I'm literally out of time. And I put 50 minutes in the mark here. So let me, let me go through this quickly. We could spend all day defining this term grace, but, but grace, the common definition is unmerited favor. It would be impossible for us to understand the gospel if we did not understand grace. And one of the most clearest places that we see this is in Ephesians 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. This this letter is saturated with grace. In fact, the very last sentence in this letter is gonna be the same words, grace to you. So bookended here at the very beginning, at the very end is grace from God, our Father. But this is not all that grace means. It's not just unmerited favor, but grace is literally the power that God supplies to his people. And one of my favorite places that demonstrates this is 1 Corinthians 15. Paul said it this way, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but what? The grace of God that is with me. So he's working He's working hard, he says. He's working harder than all the other apostles. But he's saying, the work that I am doing is completely dependent on the grace, or if I want to put another word in there to understand what it means, the power that God has given to him through grace. So all the good things we enjoy and all the good things we do is owing to God's grace. And we are in a great need for grace every single day and every single hour in every single moment. And so if you need grace, then you have a good reason to take up and read Colossians because it is a letter that is dripping with grace. But that's not all Paul is sending. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father. Every one of us is longing for peace. That is the absence of chaos and the absence of worry and strife. When wartime is over, nations are said to be at peace. And when our homes at the end of the day are finally put together and cleaned up, our homes are peaceful. And when sinners are reconciled to God, whom they are at enmity with because of their sin, well, then we have an understanding of what it is that Paul is sending in this letter Grace and peace from God our Father. That's where it's coming from. The source of this grace and peace is from God. And if we want this grace and peace, then we ought to take up Colossians and read it. This is no ordinary letter. This is a letter that contains infinite treasures from God our Father. 
And these treasures are here for us to take hold of. So may we read Colossians and delight in it as we grow in our love and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for Colossians. We thank you for your servant, Paul, whom you appointed to write for our joy and our salvation. Lord, as we devote ourselves to understanding this book, this letter, Lord, may you find good soil in our hearts that are eager to take in this word. And not only on Sundays, but Lord, may we rightly view your word so that we would not try to go one day apart from it. And so Lord, give us a hunger and a thirst for you and your righteousness. And Lord, as we do, and as we come to you to be satisfied by you, Lord, may you be glorified in our lives. Do this, we ask in Christ's name, amen.